Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, broadcasting to you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode number 89. Yes. Welcome, Anne. My producer, Anne Hogan, joins me in the studio. How are you? Hi. How's it going? I'm good. I'm distracted by this table who's sitting next to us at the... As per usual. <laughs> so the hosts at Roberta's um, refer to this table as the breakup table, the, ho- the other hosts of other radio shows. I just learned this. Oh. And that we have decided, um, kind of amongst ourselves but I think it's a really good thing to that we should install a webcam like right in that corner so that people who are listening can just always check in and see what's happening for if you are new to the show we broadcast out of two shipping containers that are shaped like an L and in one bar of the L is our Mm. actual uh, broadcast studio and there's a giant window cut in the side and we can look out into Roberta's Last week I ate lunch and I sat at that very seat. It's really hard to see in. With me. So I was like, oh yeah, we were together. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I'm going through my head. I'm like, who was I with? <laughs> yeah, where's that? No, and then they, they refer to it as the Beyonce and Jay-Z table also. Correct. Which so, I thought was interesting. So what's going on right now is there's a man and a woman who are both very attractive and right. they could be related. Their eyes look very similar. Although mm. I have a theory about how people who are in relationships gravitate towards each other when they look alike. Like people always think Mark and I are related. Now, I mean, now that we have a child, it's different. But when we were first dating, people were like, are you guys brother and sister? We're like, no. <laughs> So she looks miserable and he keeps playing on his phone. She has a ginger ale. He has an alcoholic beverage. Maybe they're just like really hungry and waiting for their food too. And it's that weird moment before you eat where you just like can't talk yet. Like right. it's just like you ordered and you're just like bring the freaking food. Like yeah. I can't even have a conversation with you. Could be. Can't even check in. All right. Well, we'll we, let's, let's keep watching them through this half an hour. He now knows that we're talking about him too. He just turned around and looked right at me. So. I don't right, think they can hear me. I don't think so. I think we're safe. <laughs> That's something that had not occurred to me. So, and tell me about your weekend. You did some. You did my favorite activity in the whole world. Oh yeah, we got to spend the weekend at the beach. So that was super fun. So now you say at the beach, but where? Which beach did you go to? So we went to LBI, Long Beach Island, which is part of the Jersey Shore. So when I grew, I think growing up in New York, you learn to say you're going to the beach. Right. But when you grow up in New Jersey, you say you're going to the shore. No one says they're going to the beach in New Jersey. They're going to the shore. Well. It's such a weird, like, semantical difference. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe, like, while I was down there, if someone maybe would have called it the shore. But I don't know. I call it the beach. Yeah, I just, I, I, like, take tally of these things because now my kid is from New Jersey, which I'm still getting used to. That idea. And he'll be, I will be someone who says we're going to the beach. And he'll be like, Mom, it's down. We're going down the shore. Mm, No, yeah. Well, this was so great because um, my partner's family, like, they always get a house, like, right on the ocean. That's awesome. um, For, you know, a couple of weeks during during the summer, and we get to be lucky enough to go. It's Amanda's birthday and her sister's birthday, too. So, yeah, we got to kind of hang out, 
eat some some good uh, some good fish, which I feel like we're gonna have some questions about today. Yep. So as we teased in the last couple of episodes of the show, we are dedicating this entire episode to Sustainable Seafood mm-hmm. Week in New York City. And let's bring our guest on to join us. We have Sean Dixon joining us in the studio. You are the head honcho behind Sustainable Seafood Week. One of, one of many. One of many. So welcome to Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. So give me an overview of the mission of Sustainable Seafood Week, both in New York City and as a national mission. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good point. Right off the bat, we expanded national this year. We've been in New York for the last two years. Uh, so this year we're coming back again, stronger than ever, with more events than ever. Uh, and we're in three other cities around the country later on this year. But we came together initially, um, my partners at Village Fishmonger, as well as a couple of folks at Flip Labs and Future Fish said we need to educate the people more than just we can accomplish in our individual seafood businesses around the city and good chefs. We need to bring everybody together. So we came up with this idea of having a whole week devoted to sustainable seafood, education events, chefs, culinary exhibitions, the like. So how do you guys define sustainable seafood? What is that? If, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot by people who are like, I just want to make the right decision. And it seems like seafood is something that is really hard to make the sort of quote unquote right decision about. How do you start by defining sustainable? Well, that's uh, clearly an easy question to lead right off with. So yeah, <laughs> throw that right on the table and, and let's get going with that. Tell me what a fish is. <laughs> All right. So we'll start there. Well, th- well, actually, that's a great place to start right off of New York, between New York and New Jersey, there's over 300 species of fish. You could pretty much eat every one. So the question is really, really difficult. Where do you begin looking? It's the last wild capture industry on the planet. We don't go out and hunt our cows to know which part of the continental United States to get the perfect cow from, but we do for fish. So it's very, very complicated. There's functionally, in my mind, two different definitions of sustainability. The first being uh, what I call the little less sustainable which generally means that we're only taking out as much as we should so that we'll have enough the next year. So that's more of a resource-based sustainability. Then there's the capital S sustainable, which is what a lot of people bring into the conversation. That's responsibility. So what gears are you using? You know, the fishermen going out there with uh, certain gears in certain places are less responsible than others. Also, how many miles has that fish traveled? Is it imported or domestic? Is it transparently sourced? Is it not? So those are all the other questions uh, with respect to sustainability that come into that big S sustainable. So how? So when you say gear, I'm just um, I'll ask a clarifying question, and then I have kind of a broad question. When you say gear, you mean the difference between when something says line caught or pole caught or trawl. Um, how do you rank? Is, is there a, a linear way to rank those as worst, better, and excellent? Well, that's, uh, that leads to the second aspect of how do you choose a good fish, which is that there is no right answer. Uh, and so that's one of the other complicating factors is you can be trawling a net along the bottom, which uh, can destroy hard habitat like corals or boulders and, and hiding places for fish uh, that might not be the most responsible place to fish. But you can use the exact same net a mile to the west and it's going through muddy or sandy bottoms, and you're aerating the bottom of the ocean and allowing more polychaetes and, and clams and little critters to live in the soil for fish to eat. So you're actually doing a good thing. So that's you know one mile away from the other, and you've got a whole different question. So it's a very, very complicated issue. So who are some of the sort of in-between people who are making this not a retail concern like is it possible to take these concerns away in your ideal world money's no object you can have any government regulation you want so that as a mom i can go to 
a place and I want to talk about where you buy your seafood and those decisions have already been <clears throat> cleared away for me. Well, yeah, and that's, uh, you know, shameless plug, Village Fishmonger NYC, where mm-hmm. uh, we started up a couple of years ago to do just that. So we created a, a, a CSF. Uh, it's for fisheries, like, that it, like you have a CSA for agriculture. So you can get your fish brought in, and we've taken care of all that for you. But even when we say we've taken care of all that for you, we will tell you every single time you have a question what's going on because we don't want you to trust us. We want you to ask us. And that gets to the real go-to answer, I think, is that you really can't trust anyone. You should always question. And one of the things that everybody says, what's your one takeaway? What's your one takeaway? Uh, and I actually only have two. I always have two, which is really you know the way I operate. Mm-hmm. But that one takeaway is always ask questions. What are you getting and why and where is it from? Any question is a good question because then whether you're at a supermarket or a restaurant or at a farmer's market, whoever you're asking that question of is going to ask that question back up the chain uh, or have the answer ready to go. And both of those things are helpful. And the other takeaway is that you should always learn as much as you possibly can about your favorite fish. If you absolutely love swordfish then learn all you can about it so that when you're out there getting swordfish the way i love chicken wings you know you can ask all about how it's prepared and is it blue cheese versus ranch the answer is blue cheese Uh, (laughs) and you know you can really build in all of your expertise on that fish and if you want to expand your horizons learn all about a fish you've never heard of before and you keep seeing on menus so you got two fish that you can always go to and then three and then four and build it up from there it's a process so uh if that's the model, is sustainable just the word that we can apply to things that haven't been overfished yet? Like if everyone starts asking for porgy, mm-hmm. which right now is abundant and sustainable and has all, you know supports local fisheries off the East Coast, it does porgy run the risk of becoming blacklisted, red-lighted, whatever it is, because it'll become popular and people trying to do the right thing are going to inadvertently strip the ocean of its resource? That is a very good question. And I think that that's something that we've seen a lot with fisheries all over the world, all over history, right? It's it's too much pressure on something that we, uh, and we extract way too much of it. The the problem is, or the difference is, is nowadays we know a lot more than we ever did. So, for example, it took 500 years. Mark Krulansky in Cod famously wrote, it took 500 years to overfish (laughs) cod, but only five to overfish orange ruffy. Well, when we go into a fishery, we know a lot more about it. So, for example, porgy used to be depleted. It used to have a very low biomass around here, so it wasn't that necessarily a, a much of a good idea to choose. But now it is, and now it's pretty robust. It's been rebuilt. It's come back. And so managers have not only a good picture of what's out there right now, they have a good idea of what led us into the trap in the first place and how to avoid that mistake in the future. So there are some of these really storied you know, seafood choices that we are in a really good position to reliably suggest or recommend. What, what got Porky back? What built the population back up again? What were the changes that were made? Well, it's the changes that any wild stock of anything were, uh, were implemented. So that was... Uh, fishermen and government-based um, reductions in the mm-hmm. capture and a long-term game plan under the federal laws called a rebuilding plan that uh, allowed for the fishery to take a little bit of porgy, uh, maybe as a directed catch, maybe incidentally with other uh, fisheries, while the whole biomass came back up together um, across the coast. Do you know how long that took from the implementation of the rule to the rebounding of the stock enough that it now is where it is? Yeah, well, a good rule of thumb around the country is, is based on the law, is that most rebuilding plans, the goal is to be about 10 years. So some of them are faster, some of them are slower, but the goal, I think, is 10 years. Uh, ideally, we'd want to rebuild things a lot quicker. Uh, but you got to keep in mind that the ocean is a very huge, 
very three-dimensional place. Uh, and in some respects, it's four-dimensional because our knowledge of the fish emerges after it's captured. So if there's a time lag in, in what we see and what we know. So there's a lot of care put in ahead of time. There's a lot of active monitoring that goes on as fisheries are happening. Uh, and so it's in this 4D environment almost, you've got uh, a lot of moving parts. Uh, and so that means that you can't just say no more of this until it's healthy again because you're going to capture porgy uh, incidentally with other species or you're going to capture uh, certain other you know, swordfish when you're out there uh, longlining pelagically for other things. So it's, there's a gut, there has to be this constant state of, of management uh, and constant communication between what the fishermen are seeing and what's coming in and being landed. So you mentioned the Community Supported Fishery, or CFF, CSF. Is that something that you have to be local to fish, Village Fishmonger? To, you have to participate in, in it because you have to go and pick up your box and exchange the money. So for people who don't live in that area, what are some options? Like, is, Would it be easy for someone who has a fish store in, their, you know, in Columbus, Ohio, to say, hey, I want to do a CSF with you and I want to get this traceability element taken care of so that it's not just tilapia fillets and Vietnamese farmed shrimp. Like what, for people who don't have the luxury of being nearby to one that already exists, is there a proactive thing that retail customers can do? Well, yeah, I mean, and the, the good thing about CSFs and local transparent fisheries is that there's a lot of them popping up across the country. Um, I believe that uh, localcatch.org and a couple other websites are tracing these, but, uh, you know, people, I was, I was talking with a family in Boulder that was setting up a CSF because they've got connections with fishermen in florida and seattle so there's still that functional one person between you and the dock but you're in the middle of colorado so it's it's it does happen and it is happening all over the country um but it all gets back to that question that just ask a question you know just ask 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 and if you've got a local retail market selling seafood in the middle of you know buffalo new york or columbus ohio uh then they're gonna love you asking questions about sourcing and transparency can i can i have an honest feedback on that i ask the guy at my seafood counter every time i go in there if they have something local and he looks at me like i am the biggest burr under his saddle and he just rolls his eyes and is like not today not today and like he's they're friendly and they're fine but the best thing that i can get are clams that that's the local thing that i can get there everything else it's like wild caught but it doesn't have any of like it doesn't have that uh transparency that i wish that it had and like i'm a professional talker and so i have no problem pushing back and being like well it should and you know i want to know where it comes from and i'm not going to buy it otherwise but i i'm not sure that especially like chain grocery stores are there yet on the like let me help you know we want to help you. Like, I just don't, I think that they're still about their bottom line. And if they, if people are buying shrimp and canned tuna and canned salmon, then that's what they're going to focus on selling for better or for worse. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good concern. Uh, I would say first it's, um, you know, that's why I say pick your favorite fish and learn as much about it. So okay, so wait, I'll give you a for instance. Is. Mine is mahi mahi. That's great. Okay, that's a good choice because sure. every time I order it, I'm like, God, I hope I'm walking well, the walk. It <laughs> depends on where it's from and how it's captured and all that. So, so, so learn do, a little bit more. So let's do it as an exercise. Let's say that I'm uh, just some, I am a retail fish person, a buyer uh, in the grocery store. I'm not the daughter of a commercial fisherman. I am someone who just wants to do right by the planet and her family. So. What are the questions that I should ask myself about the mahi-mahi that I'm about to order? Well, if you're getting that mahi-mahi from a retail market or a supermarket mm -hmm. counter, yeah, then ask them who they're getting it from. Okay. They should know who they're getting it from, whether or not it's 
ABC food delivery service, uh, then they will know who they're getting it from. Then if you really want to be that informed consumer, call ABC meal delivery service and say, where are you picking up your fish? If they're getting it from a market that's a hub, a major food hub, then you can either head on down there or go to the website or ask them which vendor at that food hub are you getting it from. And so that's three questions you've just asked, and you've almost pinpointed the dock or the region of the country that it's coming from. So that's three things, and you'll find out that that mahi-mahi is coming from uh, Cape May, New Jersey. So I... um and you, you, you have a question earlier before I feel like I cut you off. Oh, I do, but I keep my. I had two questions. Okay, go. But shoot. they were because you had brought up um, farmed fish. Just in, quickly, what? Are, I'm just very curious on your thoughts on farm raised fish in general. In general, yeah. I mean, is that like you, you huge? missed my like, first my one of my first points? There's no in general okay. with seafood. Oh, no, right. this is good. Okay. That we, this is very good. This is a good teachable moment. That this is there's not anything that's direct and. I use the parallel a lot between factory farmed animals like pigs, mm-hmm. where we could f- photograph and fly over and see the environment that right. the pigs were being raised in, and people were horrified. And suddenly we're willing to pay a premium price for a farm raised pig mm-hmm. and go to a farmer's market and talk to their farmer because they could see the poo fields and the blood and right. the guts and all the sad things and put a face t- and personify or right. anthropomorphize this poor little pig in a way that can't be done with the fish because they're underwater. And what we see is a pastoral you know, sunset behind a fishing boat or a shrimp boat coming in and we just assume like, oh, that's so beautiful. And so I think there is this like, okay, it's not the same linear thing. It's never going to be distilled to how do you feel about X, Y, or Z when it comes to sustainability. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I mean, I don't, I mean, whatever. There's not an in general, so I guess I should do like some more homework on that. Well, there's, but, there's, there's also. Uh, it's important to note that there isn't just farm raised, and that that isn't just a thing. It's uh, just like with wild capture. There's what kind of gear, where in the ocean, it's right. an important like, domestic. How are you doing? How are you doing it? So with aquaculture, uh, and where actually Seafood Week is presented by one of our lead city sponsors is True North Salmon, an aquaculture operation. Uh, we're also working a lot with great aquaculture operations, uh, Taylor Shellfish out in the Pacific Northwest, uh, and we're sourcing with a lot of great oh, people. Oh, that's the guy who has the gooey duck. That One oh, of their guys sent guy. me a gooey great duck. Guy. Yeah, he's great. We've had him. You should spell that husband. so people know how to pronounce yeah, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we did a whole show about okay. gooey duck. <laughs> well, it's, so there are, great op, there are great operations out there that are, that are doing things really, really well, but it's important to take a step back and realize that you can either have, uh, you can have hatcheries on land where it's a tank, it's in a, inside a building. Right. You can have operations where they grow oysters in a tank, but then seed them in the wild. Uh, and that's pretty fantastic anywhere you go. Then you can have open ocean. You can have uh, places that are putting tanks or, uh, or cages underneath wind farms. That's the newest idea. You can also have shrimp aquaculture where they're cutting down mangrove forests and flooding the intertidal area. So there's pros and cons and of everything. That is bad for okay. them. Uh, <laughs> everything else is good on that list. I wanted to make sure. That <laughs> but a lot of those places, even if you have a pen underneath a wind farm, if you have 10,000 fish in something where there should only be 1,000 fish, that's bad. Right. You know, if you're throwing lots of antibiotics in there, that's bad. So you've got, you can do good things, you can do bad things, uh, and that's where it all comes down to learning a little bit more about which are the ones in front of you. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break here because we have to talk to our sponsors for a second. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all of the events that are happening next week in New York City around Sustainable Seafood Week. And one of the things that I learned last year that was really eye-opening was that if there was no farmed fish, most people would not be able to afford it. 
that while caught fish, the price would be so high it would be like buying jewelry. From one of the guys who has the operation at the Bay of Fundy, who I forgot his name. Looks like a fisherman. White, long beard. Oh, I think that was a fisherman. That was a fisherman. Yes, the big guy, white beard. <laughs> Just like my dad. Um, okay, so let's take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about how you can get involved with Sustainable Seafood Week. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Welcome back to Sharp and Hot, everybody. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson. We're going to check in with our breakup table here. They have had appetizers. He keeps counting things aggressively on his fingers. I think they're actually having a serious conversation about the state of their relationship. What do you think, Ann? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they could also... I, I don't know. They could also just be like super like emotional, like yeah. New York they talkers. They could be deciding if someone's <laughs> going to take a job. Like, I don't or, know. Yeah, yeah it could be. Anything. What are you going to do? I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. We should, not, we should go out there and ask them. So I'm wondering we're... why they're not eating seafood. <laughs> don't they know well, what yeah. we're talking about in here? I don't think Hello. they know. We sh- yeah, no, I don't think they know. <laughs> so, actually, there's a really incredible squid dish on the menu at Roberto's on the dinner menu right now that I didn't order the other day, but it was like char-grilled shrimp with Meyer lemon puree and the server told me that they just drop a whole Meyer lemon into the blender with some olive oil and then like wow. oh that sounds so that good sounds how do you know it's a Meyer lemon <laughs> how do you know it's a squid <laughs> That's a bad so um let's talk sustainable seafood week so this is an event that is organized by a group of people right Wendy Wiseman, who is someone that I've been in contact with who's a wonderful woman um has organized all of these events in the next 10 days or so starting on Sunday. Sunday's the first event, right? Sunday's our pre-launch kickoff, yeah. So tell me what are some of the things that people can get involved with. Let's start with the gala because I'm going to be at that. Just all Uh, fancy. Yeah, nice. That's (laughs) going to be fantastic. That's with uh, Blue Water Grill in Union Square, so that's going to be a pretty fantastic event. That I love every year. It's, uh, It's an opportunity for you to go through a tasting menu, but at every station you get 20 minutes to spend with the chef that prepared your dish and the fisherman that caught it. So we've got actually um, five stations this year, and we've got uh, four or five fishermen coming up uh, that are going to be talking about all the different things that you're going to be eating. So you're going to cycle on through, and you'll be able to have some uh, Cape May salt oysters and some Lund squid, and then you're going to move, and you're going to be having some tilefish from Viking Village, which is on Long Beach Island, uh, <laughs> down the shore where you were, uh, on the beach, down the, the shore. At the beach, down the shore. <laughs> uh, and so you know, you'll be able to discuss with the fishermen uh, all these questions that we raised today. So... It was beautiful last year. Like, there was just, like, this beautiful raw bar and all these beautiful people are standing around. Mm. And it's, like, this captive audience of people who are all really involved. And Paul Greenberg will be there, correct? Indeed he will. He will be there talking about his book, uh, American Catch, which, if you have not read it already, I highly recommend it. He's an excellent storyteller and makes a lot of this 
come to life like a journalist and not like a scientist, mm-hmm. which not that there's anything wrong with science writing, but storytelling, I think, is much more user-friendly in terms of a broad, reaching a broad audience. And you'll be able to buy the book there, and I think he's going to even be around to sign a few copies if we're, if we're lucky, fingers crossed. All right. cool. He's yeah. a super cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. He is. He's also doing an event called um, Bait to Plate, right? Tell me, I'm going to Bait to Plate, but I don't exactly know what to expect. Yeah, that's on the Grand Banks on the west side, and so that's going to be another interesting conversation. Very, you know, very select group of people. Get your tickets now. Uh, and, uh, and you'll be <laughs> able to have that conversation direct with Paul Greenberg. I think he's going to go into a little bit more detail at that event uh, and really get into some of the specifics of that local catch aspect of his story. It's so funny that it's called Bait to Play too because so I mentioned my dad was a commercial fisherman out of Shinnecock Inlet when I was a little kid and taught me how to go clamming and we go pick oysters and get scallops. But he used to refer to razor clams as bait. He would be like, you don't eat those. That's bait. And now they're like on every That's New bait. York City menu. <laughs> He's like, That's bait. <laughs> So we may be having some razor clams. Um, there is a guided tour of the Fult- the new Fulton Fish Market, which is not something that just anybody from the public can go and do, right? This is a pretty exclusive opportunity. Right. I mean, I guess technically somebody from the public can make their way in and buy a fish or two. Uh, this is going to be walking through with their with the team there, and we're going to be hearing all about what they do, what their operations look like, uh, and really how it acts as the second largest fish market in the in the world after uh, the largest fish market in Tokyo. Really? I didn't know that that... It's pretty. It's a massive place up there in the Bronx, uh, and it's the whole building is, re- is refrigerated, and there's people moving and fish moving, and, and you can really walk through and get a feel for what's in season, which is also something that's missing from a lot of restaurants because most fish is frozen. Uh, and so here you'll be able to see things that have just come in that day and that, that aren't frozen, that are fresh. That I, that sounds awesome. I I am going to try to come to that. It starts early in the morning, right? It's like meet. I think you meet there at like five o'clock in the morning. Four yeah, o'clock. it's yeah. almost the day before that. <laughs> but I'll be up. I'll be up. You'll There's be a Dunkin' there? Donuts near there, so I'll get some coffee. All right. Yeah, and Dunkin' Donuts coffee is like speed. I had a Dunkin' Donuts coffee for the first time in a really long time, and I was right. like, I can't handle all this caffeine. There's so much caffeine. We're going to have another have to have another show on coffee sustainability, and then we'll talk about that. I would love to. Do, oh my god, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm terrified. Okay, and then there are two events that I'm going to be participating in. One is a cooking demonstration at the Union Square Farmer's Market. On Friday, June 26th, I'm going to be making Manhattan clam chowder and giving out taste and teaching people how to open clams. So cool. So you will get to learn how to open clams, and then we'll make that into a beautiful, quick tomato-based soup. You want to know uh, my dad's method of teaching me when I was a little kid, the way to tell the difference between Manhattan clam chowder and... Uh, New England clam chowder. And this comes from someone who went on to live in Manhattan and Brooklyn for 12 years of her life. Right. But when I was a little kid, Manhattan was a terrifying place. And the way he taught us to remember is when it's New England, you think snow. And when you think Manhattan, you think blood. (laughs) Now, as an adult, I'm like... I love you, Daddy. You oh, could have Dad. just said what New Dad. England is snow and Manhattan's the other one. <laughs> no bloody murder. So to to kind of balance the scales on that history, I'm going to make delicious, wonderful, my favorite Manhattan clam chowder from his recipe and give out samples that will be at noon on the northwest corner of Union Square um, Farmer's Market. And then on 
And there also be a whole bunch of other restaurants yeah. there as oh, well. Yeah, oh, right. So let's talk about the other participating yeah. restaurants, both that and all week long, right? Yeah, there's going to be... So at Union Square, we're bringing out, I think, a dozen other restaurants that are going to be doing seafood dishes. Uh, and then at night, a beer garden opens up, and there's going to be more seafood and more restaurants and more dishes. So it's going to be a veritable blue market instead of a green market that day. Oh, I love so that. Cool. And then we've got about 50 restaurants participating in the dine-out portion. So just like Restaurant Week, for all New Yorkers that, that know about that, you can head on out to about 50 different restaurants uh, and head, I think there's a map on our seafoodweeknyc.com mm-hmm. website as well as a map on Open Table who's uh, set up a whole page so that you can figure out where to go okay, and make your reservations cool. uh, and there's they're all over the city and you're able to to head on out and get a special menu item for that week or menu in some restaurants that's that's awesome. And it's just so heartening to hear that 50 different chefs have been like, yeah, I will totally do that with you. That's amazing. Including the Pines, who are doing a cooking demonstration the next day at Grand Army Plaza on June 27th. And I'll just be there hanging out with a microphone, answering people's questions and and seeing other people cooking, which awesome. will be fun to do. Um, Sean, is there anything that you want to add that we haven't had a chance that I haven't asked you? Well, I think that I'm just super excited about the week. So there's, I mean, on Sunday on Father's Day, we have a North Fork Oyster Farm tour. Mm -hmm. Luke's Lobster is doing on Sunday night in Midtown East a New York versus Maine seafood throwdown. So four dishes from Maine, your clam chowder, your Manhattan versus your New England. (laughs) Uh, So that'll be at Luke's Lobster Midtown East. There's a grilling night. There's an oyster trivia night uh, down on the Lower East Side. Uh, there's uh, Natural Gourmet Institute's doing a cooking class. There's just, I mean, there's so many amazing events. Dine out. It's going to be a great conversation. Grand Army Plaza on Saturday. Um, head on out. And tell me again, I'm looking at sswnational.com, and you can click on your city. If you are in New York, click on New York City, and it also appears to be coming to Seattle, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. Absolutely. Not all happening this week, right? Those are down the calendar. New York City is the kickoff week, and uh, those will be later on in the summer and early fall. Very exciting. And then you said seafoodweeknyc.com also. Same information. Wonderful. Listeners, if you buy tickets to the gala or to have lunch on the Grand Banks, come and say hi. I will be there. Sean Dixon from Sustainable Seafood Week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The other event that I wanted to mention is on Saturday at Jimmy's Number 43, which is the restaurant in the East Village owned by Jimmy Carboni, who is the host of our very own Beer Sessions Radio. He is hosting a potluck cook-off to welcome Bonnie Slotnick's cookbooks to the East Village. They recently moved locations and is a welcome party. Jimmy is looking for chefs. Anne, are you free on Saturday? You're not free, right? We talked about this. I know. I know. I want to come, though. It sounds awesome. Sean, are you a cook? Uh, I I dabble. I dabble. So Bonnie Slotnick's is an incredible cookbook store. She owns things. She sells things that are out of print. So they're doing this cook-off at which I'm a judge with Lee T, who hosts Word of Mouth and a couple of other people. But we need more cooks who will come and bring a dish pre- Google. So they want dishes from 30 years plus old. So like your jello molds, your uh, duck presses. So much fun. Your, my grandma's anything. My grandma's anything. anything. Yeah. My grandmother's anything. The idea is go down to Bonnie Slotnick's, buy a cookbook that inspires you, make something out of it, and then bring it to Jimmy's number 43, where a bunch of us are going to be tasting and judging. And you can go to Jimmy's number 43.com forward slash events for more details. And if you want to come as a spectator, you can buy a $10 ticket and then it's a potluck and everybody gets to hang out and eat and celebrate the East Village. So awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. It does sound like a lot of fun. I'm I'm very bummed to to miss it. And I've learned as a judge of cooking competitions, which I've done several times now, is do not eat beforehand. (laughs) No matter how hungry you are, do not eat beforehand because somebody's going to bring like 
Uh, maybe I'll enter my own slab of head cheese and oh, recuse myself from the. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Let's see. Next week, uh, we are going to air an interview that I did with Chef mm-hmm. Philippe Tessier, who won the silver medal at the Bocuse d'Or this year in Lyon, France. First time the United States has done better than sixth place, because I'm going to be at the Industry Lab at Sustainable Seafood Week. So uh, Anne and I are going to not be here, but there will be content for you to listen to, and I hope you enjoy it. And then I'll see you. we'll see you live the following week. And until then, everybody, keep playing with fire and knives. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.